0: Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Welcome back to another program of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The only program of its kind of a conservative, patriot, American Muslim hosting a program dedicated to breaching those fault lines of the day between the West and Islamic community and those dominated by Islamist ideologies. Weekly, I try to cover with you the most controversial issues of the day and bring to mind and to light some of the conflicts that exist within our community and sometimes underneath our own roof here in the United States of America. There's a revolution happening, and I believe it's starting here at this podcast with Reform This. And this week I'm going to share with you a little deeper into the story of the Council on American Islamic Relations, and I hope that uh, as I share with you uh, some of the ignored ideologies, writings, behaviors of leaders of the Council on American Islamic Relations, like... Daoud Walid out of Detroit or Hassan Shibli out of Florida or Hussam Eloush out of uh, Care Los Angeles that you'll be begin to uh, be- better understand what it is that we're up against and first let's look a little bit at uh, Dawood Walid you know I uh, run my own NGO uh, the American Islamic Forum for Democracy in which uh, many of us Come together to focus against the ideology of Islamism. Political Islam. Well, what is political Islam? I think if you understand that, you'll understand CARE. CARE claims to be a civil rights organization. People like Dawood Walid claim to be, as he says on his uh, Twitter profile, a human rights advocate and political blogger. He's the executive director of the Michigan chapter of the Council on American Islamic Relations. His blog sells him as an imam who lectures on topics such as how to maintain your manners when dealing with hostile people. And the irony of this will soon become clear to you. But I will tell you that if you understand their platforms, if you understand what they try to do to control the Muslim community and its collective mindset as if they're all supposed to think as one, as one political party, you'll understand what Islamism is. Islamism is the mindset that Muslims must think together in one platform as a political unity, as a state unity, as a unity under the Sharia state, under their law in which they interpret as Islamic law identified under the Muslim community. And these groups, under the banner of American-Islamic relations, try to co-opt us into a victim mindset that we are somehow besieged and our rights are being taken away by the bigoted and angry mob of Americans. They don't care about the reality of statistics, they exaggerate some of the smaller truths and then minimize the global struggle that we're under with radical Islam and the the, the raison d'antre, if you will, is so that all of you don't know the connection between political Islam or the Islamic State mindset and terrorism and radical Islam. So let's go back to Waleed, uh, Dawood Walid out of Detroit. There's a little anecdote that happened uh, just a, a month or so ago in which in his post on Easter, he didn't wish Christians a happy Easter, no. On March 25th, he took to social media to talk about the Easter holiday and how he believes Muslims should treat Christians on this day. But Dawood, instead of using the opportunity to offer best wishes or condemn the slaughter of Christians by ISIS, he urged Muslims not to, quote, encourage the infidels by wishing Christians a happy Easter. And he goes on, and I have to tell you, just reading this, I thought I was reading something out of the radical Imam Awlaki, who ultimately radicalized Nidal Hassan and so many Al Qaeda operatives. But no, this is a supposedly nonviolent leader of a civil rights organization in Detroit who constantly lectures Americans about the freedom of Muslims. And instead, he was telling Muslims not to wish. He said, be respectful of others and the rights to observe and practice religious holidays. It doesn't mean welcoming or celebrating them, He said, Good Friday and Easter Sunday symbolize the biggest theological difference between Christians and Muslims. And he goes on, he said, be respectful. Don't pick theology debates with your Christian families. However, avoid wishing them happy Easter greetings. Avoid giving them the remote appearance of passive affirming of Shirk or polytheism and kufr or disbelief, as we as the radicals would as we hear them call the enemies of their Islamism. So Walid is referencing blasphemy. A crime in Pakistan, for example, where Christians are marked for death under archaic blasphemy laws. And need I remind people that a few days later Dawood removed that post, not only because of the criticism that we exposed, uh, I reposted it and posted a screenshot of his Salafism or Wahhabi ideas, but there was a, a Muslim, an Ahmadiyya Muslim by the name of Asad Shah, who was stabbed 30 times in his store in Glasgow, Scotland. Why? Because he had a sign wishing his Christian customers a happy Easter. And it was ultimately known that he was killed and assassinated, targeted for killing by radical Muslims in Glasgow. So ultimately we know that not only is this one incident, but for years, Dawoud Walid has advocated for every radical Islamist he could get away with defending. You know, for example, there was a, shooting you may recall a, a legitimate shooting of a radical Islamist Imam Luqman Abdullah who had been the focus of a investigation by local police and FBI when they raided his Islamic state I say was this was 2009 long before ISIS he had an organization called Ummah or Islamic State a separatist group that had been housing arms Uh, And then when they were raided in order to take them in for questioning, they opened fire and Luqman Abdullah was shot dead by a number of FBI officers that went to arrest him. And for years since 2009, Daoud Walid was basically uh, saying that this was an inappropriate shooting and that uh, Abdullah was a victim of an overly aggressive FBI shooting, and yet every every investigation otherwise has shown that it was the militancy of Abdullah that was of concern and that it was a legitimate shooting by the FBI. There's really been no radical that Dawood Walid did not find appropriate to try to defend and did not feel was the actual victim. I've seen Walid demean uh, and, and bully uh, women's rights advocates. W- w- there was a documentary that I would ask all of you to see. It's called Honor Diaries. And Honor Diaries had been scheduled to be shown in Detroit. And it, it basically highlights the victimization and mistreatment of women in the name of the honor culture seen in Islamist families, Islamist communities, under the Sharia interpreted by fathers, brothers, uncles, and misogynist systems that do not get women bodily autonomy, do not give women the rights to dress as they wish, to date, to go out into public, to work as they wish. Within, I'm not talking about Saudi Arabia, I'm talking about in the United States of America, these women do not have these rights. And, this documentary, put together by Clarion Project and highlighting nine courageous heroines of the Muslim community, and yet though Waleed and his colleagues tried to have it suppressed. They did not want it showed and put together online hate campaigns and witch hunts against the dissidents, trying to push Muslims to ostracize those with whom he, dis- he disagrees. And he's even brought ultimately by his uh, castigation of these heroines, labeled them and Jemima's, quote-unquote. He has brought uh, risk and harm upon them based upon the danger that uh, he has by naming them as uh, those who the community should fear rather than respect and lift up. And I think... We can learn a lot. The silence from the Detroit community has been deafening that Dawood Walid continues to lead that Muslim community. It's been deafening that the media continues to use him as a go-to leader for the Muslim voices in Detroit, in Michigan, and all over the country. It is sad that Congressman Ellison has gone to Detroit to raise money for care and stood side by side by Dawood Walid. I would not call him an advocate for human rights. I'd call him a radicalizer, a chief radicalizer of our community who teaches our youth to fear America, to dislike America, to hate Israel, to hate Jews, to feel supremacist over Christians on their holidays, to feel disgust and separation from atheists, from those who choose a different path in their life. This is not a man who's a human rights advocate. This is an individual who is a supremacist that believes in a party ideology that is Islamist. So when you look to define care, don't only define them based on their associations. It's not a coincidence. Yeah, they came out of the fruit of Hamas, that they find themselves associated with radicals. But the more real definition of care is what they say and what they do, and the ideologies that they defend. When we come back, I'm going to talk to you about the San Bernardino shootings and how care and how close they were to the family of the San Bernardino shooters. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser with Reform This.
0: Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, reaching the fault lines of today. 800- 2150465 Reaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. We left off talking about the realities, the deep realities of Islamist American groups like the Council on American Islamic Relations. And uh, I wanted to connect back to not only the, the abomination that is Mr. Walid in Michigan, but to, to go back to the San Bernardino shootings that happened on December 2, 2015. And I want to remind you about the, the, the heinously barbaric shooting that these two Muslims did at 10.59 on December 2, 2015. They went into a healthcare care facility and, and shot to death 14 and injuring many more that were just simply celebrating a holiday party. And they went in with automatic weapons and ultimately were thankfully killed then by law enforcement. But what is amazing is that only a few hours later, as many of us were still trying to figure out what happened, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, Los Angeles, headed up by Hussam Elush, releases a press release. Remember, the attack occurred at 10.59. And the press release is released later that afternoon. And it said, later tonight, the greater Los Angeles area of care and the Islamic Shura Council of Southern California will hold a news conference with leaders of the Muslim community to condemn today's deadly shooting spree in San Bernardino, California, to offer condolences to the loved ones of those killed or injured, and to respond to the naming of one of the suspects, a relative of one of the suspects, named by the media, will take part in the news conference. And that conference was going to occur at 8.30 p.m. L.A. time when the shooting occurred at 10.59 a.m. So they not only had a connection immediately in which clearly this family member turned to care for their representation, but they immediately were laying the groundwork For representing this individual. And I'll remind you that uh, CARE was not only intent on uh, being a mouthpiece for the family, but ultimately wanting to represent the ability for that family to maintain custody of that child whose mother participated in an act of war against American citizens. So It's interesting that this is about the airspace in which care travels. Sure, they condemn terrorism. Sure, they've always been, quote-unquote, anti-terror, anti-violent extremism. But have they been anti-Islamism? No different than the Saudi government claiming they have nothing to do with Al-Qaeda. They might be our allies, but they are certainly fueling and pushing the ideas that creates the animosity that is the hate that is anti-Western and anti-American, and care is no different on our own soil. They constantly push the meme and cultivate the sense that uh, America is anti-Muslim and anti-Islam. In fact, um, Hussam Elush, within hours of the... After the terror attack, Hussein Elush, the director of care's Los Angeles chapter, told c n n basically that the u s was to blame. He said, quote, "Let's not forget that some of our own foreign policy as Americans as the West have fueled that extremism." He told c n n you know it is just amazing to me the temerity, not only. Did they have the family in their airspace where the family picked up the phone? And interestingly, if you had said, if media called me after the uh, attack uh, in Garland, Texas, that came from Phoenix and said, oh, do you, do you know any of the family or any of the individuals? Odds are that the American Islamic Forum for Democracy and many of our contacts uh, do not know them and we would not be having a press conference with that family. Now, would we have had contact? Yes, we had contact with that mosque, and and some of our, our community outreach organizer, Courtney, had uh, worked for years trying to expose some of the ideology there, and her story was in the Arizona Republic weeks, months later. But we wouldn't stand and immediately... Have a reflexive response to want to stand with and next to the family as if they were the victims, as if they had no idea of what had radicalized these individuals, uh, and almost as if their uh, sister or their loved one had uh, spontaneously combusted into a Wahhabi radical or an ISIS radical. That's not how it happens. But the bottom line is, is the ideological airspace in which care operates is one in which the anti-Americanism is. Breaming out of their uh, uh, cups and um, part of their ideology. So the bottom line is is that, no, moderate, pro-American, pro-liberty Muslims who are anti-Islamist and uh, anti-radical do not ultimately swim in the streams of ideology that are conveyor belts toward radicalization, while care is not coincidentally going to be operating in the airspace in which many of these folks might be nonviolent, they might condemn terrorism, but they're going to be swimming in that anti-Semitism, in that anti-Americanism, in that blame American foreign policy mantra that can become the fertilizing soil in which Wahhabism can grow and be planted. And that's where these two, husband and wife, that uh, had been planning, obviously, for months, if not a couple years, their attack on this facility in San Bernardino, had learned their militancy from the Salafi jihadi school, the Huda-type school out of Pakistan, which few had discussed, in which our homeland security had been unable to unravel and dissect that ideology. Instead, we were waiting in a -a whack-a-mole fashion for that moment in which they grabbed weapons, for us to be able to monitor what they're doing. But care is one step ahead of us. Yep, they're defending the family. They're telling Americans that it's our foreign policy. Don't blame Islam. It's your foreign policy. Don't blame, don't even call it Islamism. God forbid you all become educated about the theocratic mentality of the, theocracy that is the Islamic State, that is Islamist parties, that is CARE, that is the Muslim Public Affairs Council based out of that same Shura Council that held that press conference. And, you know, I have to tell you that the hypocrisy of individuals like Hussam Elouche, this guy came to our mosque here in Phoenix and from the pulpit there talked about hypocrites, quote-unquote, within the Muslim community like the local doctor. And he said this years ago. I talk about this in my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, in which he came to talk to the community in Phoenix and tell them, he never said my name, but clearly was talking about an active physician who was testifying to Congress. He did this after my testimony to the Homeland Security uh, Committee in Congress when I testified for Peter King on how Muslims are radicalized. And in that testimony, he said uh, that I was basically calling all Muslims here in Phoenix terrorists and that they should fear what I am doing to the Muslim community and that just like the hypocrites in the Quran, there are those who appear to be within the community, but they're not. So Hussam Elush is a long, long long-time antagonist of any reform work that I've been doing or many of us are doing. And and let me take it one step further so you understand the way these individuals think. On the one hand, Hussam Elush, who is also an American-Syrian, claims to be all about Syrian freedom against Assad and has now found it convenient to endorse the revolution and claim he's anti-ISIS, when in fact you find him here after San Bernardino saying it's American foreign policy that radicalizes ISIS. And yet when he goes to Washington to speak to Obama with the Syrian-American Council, the Muslim Brotherhood front group of Syrian, the Syrian rebellion, he claims that he wants America to do more. He said that Muslims there are being radicalized because we're not doing enough. Now that's my position. I do believe that Syria left to the vacuum that Assad has left and ISIS has left and is being filled by Russia and Iran— as as we talked about last program i think is leaving the the secular rebels that are truly a third pathway to be decimated and leave very little hope for any future possibility at any hope for a liberal democracy in syria but but i digress a bit just to tell you that these Islamists here in America like Hussam Elush, like Daoud Walid, like Hassan Shibli in Florida, are liars. They are dishonest. They're not about American freedom. They're not about democracy. They're about promoting political Islam, promoting the interests of a collective Muslim community based under a platform of Sharia law and the Islamic State. Hassan Shibli in Florida first time he went to the White House, who did he take? He took a Palestinian teen that he said was stoned by the Israeli soldiers. No, he didn't use that opportunity to go speak to President Obama about the hundreds of thousands slaughtered by the, the, the Muslim Assad or by the Iranian uh, hegemonic forces in Syria or by ISIS and their genocide against Christians. No, he ignored that death and destruction, and instead wanted to bring in parade a Palestinian teen that he claimed was being stoned or shot by Israeli soldiers. That's Hassan Shibli and his hypocrisy. And one after the other, the chairs and the uh, chapter leaders of the Council on American-Islamic Relations are clinics in the insurgency, the ideological insurgency that is political Islam and its interests from the OIC in America. So don't be deceived. Never be deceived. Individuals like Hussein Elush are hoping that you won't do your homework. They're hoping that you won't notice that, on the one hand, they want America to help the Syrian rebellion. They want America, through Secretary Clinton, to help the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt defeat Mubarak. And on the other hand, they blame American foreign policy and all our meddling in countries abroad for the terrorism that comes on our own soils. And yet, they seem to have the bat phone with families of these terrorists. Again, not saying that they condone the terrorism, but they sure seem to be swimming in those same pools. When we come back with Reform This, we'll talk about the foreign interests that influence with their money our generals and our previous military officers that used to get it when they were in uniform and now they go on to end up working in the defense industry or in the lobby industry and taking on the global establishment and working with, sadly, the global establishment of Islamists.
0: Breaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser On the Blaze Radio Network Bob Sexton. And now she claims she's turned them on all, all over So it doesn't really matter Oh no, that's right, she got to pick what was personal and what wasn't This is all so obvious when you really think about it When you
1: think through, isn't it? But the Clintons are just hoping that between the media And the apathy of the American people They can just skate past this one And it won't be an issue But we here in the Freedom Hut will not let this go Unaccounted for.
0: Buck Sexton, weekdays noon to 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network on demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser.
1: Welcome back to Reform This. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. And it's great to be with you this week. And what you're going to find here in this program is a conservative, a patriot, a Muslim who is trying to give my community and those who believe in Islam a gut check, a reality check, an approach through tough love to realize the hard work that we have to do. And I think you're beginning to understand that uh, the way to do this is to confront and enforce free speech. That we stand behind those who want to be free. We stand behind those who reject the term Islamophobia and simply begin to work on criticism, on enlightenment, and on true and real reform. So at Reform This, we breach the fault lines between the Western, the modern world, and the Islamist world. And I know Many of you may know very well what Islamism is, or you may just be beginning to learn what Islamism is, and soon we'll all understand this well. But as we look at the front lines of this battle, you will begin to understand how the Islamist groups, like the group that we just spoke about, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, how they exploit our freedoms in order to suppress free speech. How many of the agents of foreign governments who live in countries dominated by apostasy and blasphemy laws do whatever they can to change our societies in America and in Europe for the worse so that we don't ask the tough questions that need to be asked about the Koran, about interpretation, about women's rights minority rights, about Sharia law, about their loyalty to secular states versus loyalty to global jihad. And those are the questions I hope you, after listening here, go on to ask and demand that they be answered. And later we're going to talk about what happens to some of our former military heroes when they start working in the beltway and getting close to these foreign governments. But first, you know, I have to. We've been talking about America, and I saw a piece this week uh, talking about a hero in Germany, a Muslim reformer, a professor that uh, had been actually doing the hard work of academic writing, in which he would write about the need for Islam to come to terms with enlightenment. He's a German professor, His name is Mohamed Kurshidi and he teaches at the univer- or he taught at the University of Munster. And Susan Schroeder, uh, writing at dw.com, a uh, German media outlet, talked about how here you have a professor who wrote a controversial piece in 2012 called "Islam is Compassion." And he received a variety of diverse reactions. Uh, Many celebrated his work as a revelation of a humanistic Islam, an Islam that no one needed to fear, that Germany could feel comfortable with. And he had a lot of positive feedback, especially, as yours truly knows so well, from the non-Muslim community and also from Muslims who were honest in their community. And ultimately, he threw out the idea that the Qur'an the scripture of Islam and the verses that appear violent or hostile towards women or towards non-Muslims that uh, support battles and support war may not be valid for all eternity, and that they may only be valid for that time in which they are. And actually, my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, in its chapter on Quranic interpretations, says that exact same thing. Uh, He wanted them to be viewed as the words of a bygone era, Now, it seemed that uh, uh, the Islam he was talking about, as Susan says, belonged to Germany. And uh, ultimately, he has now begun to pay a price. The uh, German-Turkish Islamic Union, the country's largest Muslim organization, uh, read his words as a rejection of the teachings of classical Islam and an insult to Muslim identity. Note that they didn't criticize Islam what he said he just they called it an insult to muslim identity why because the deconstruction of quranic interpretations of battles of wars of jihad has to then end the islamic state it ends islamic political identity and that's what threatens them the most and for that reason because of the public pressure he was now removed from his professorship and uh, the coordinating body of the Germany's Central Council of Muslims, or the ZMD, made up of a number of large Islamist organizations, produced a 100-page assessment document to discredit him further. But it didn't go far, but ultimately it did have him removed. Now, it's interesting to look. uh, She describes how Germany's divided into two categories. There's the reformists, the intellectuals that have joined forces with a reform group of the Muslim Forum of Germany, including researchers such as Abdel Hakim Urgi, uh, Hamad uh, Abdel Samad, Sayeran Atas, uh, and others, including Khurshid, in calling for an Islamic, a new Islamic enlightenment. And then or the majority of Muslims, almost all organized Muslim organizations are the Islamists in Germany who steer completely, avoid any criticism of Islamic texts, avoid any new interpretations, avoid modernization, and always after a terror attack occurs, they begin the apologetics to say that has nothing to do with Islam. And scholars like the ones I just mentioned in Germany were more realists, they recognized the, the fuel that the Islamist interpretation of supremacy, of Wahhabi and Salafi ideologies, contributed to the radicalization. And the, the apologists wanted to do away with the term Islamism, while the reformists, the modernists, those who want enlightenment to come back to Islam, recognized Islamism as the core problem. And at the end of the day, Korsheed's liberal view of Islam is not shared by any of these German-Muslim organizations. And, you know, I think Korsheed's dilemma is my dilemma. It's your dilemma. And I know it sounds like it's something happening within the House of Islam. But this is our dilemma. Because if Korsheed and the other Scholars in Germany in which you see them beginning in their Muslim forum to uh, Develop ideas of modernization that is forcing them to get fired From universities, and I bet you you follow the money those universities Do have connections to Gulf states to Islamists be it in Qatar Dubai Saudi Arabia somewhere? There's a connection to the global establishment of political Islam and the businesses and others But at the end of the day, it is your battle too, because if they lose, one quarter of the world's population, or 1.6 billion people, is the natural constituency for the Islamist movement. And if the Islamist movement grows from the 500 million or so, the 30% that it encompasses today and continues to grow then Paris and Belgium will continue to grow. The world will continue to be divided into al Islam, the land of Islam, and the land of war. Or if Muslim liberals, Muslims that are searching and, and struggling for that enlightenment begin to win and you take their side, ultimately they will marginalize the Islamists. They will begin to stake ground in universities, in media, and government, in national security conversations, foreign policy conversations, in businesses, in interfaith commun- uh, community organizations. They'll begin to stake a ground that they believe in the contract of the West, of Germany, of Britain, of Belgium, and of the United States. And once they do that, the Islamists will be exposed for, as Majid Nawaz calls it, the insurgency that they are. They are an insurgency. And the best and I think the only defense against the threat of their foreign agency and their insurgency from within for their Sharia state that they want to see, their obstruction of free speech... The only defense, and the main defense, is reform-minded Muslims. So look up Kershidi's firing in Germany and what's been written about it, and tell your friends about it, that these are the front lines. It started with Charlie Hebdo in Paris as an assassination of many courageous individuals that felt that nothing was a barrier to their free speech, and they paid the ultimate price. And then at the core of this debate are professors like Khurshidi who are beginning to ask the tough questions and the Muslim Forum and others in Germany and our Muslim Reform Movement here in, uh, based in the U.S., the Canada, and Europe. When we come back, I want to talk about some disappointments in my fellow military leaders and retirees who have gone to the dark side after working years of keeping our country safe.
0: You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. They all fall in behind Hillary, uh, like last night
1: on television. But you know, I, I mean, with that this was to be expected and
0: factored in. I don't like it. You oughtn't like it, but. It is what it is. And the funny thing is that despite all of those media advantages and prejudices, Hillary's going to lose. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern on The Blaze Radio Network. this with Dr. Zudi Jasser.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser, and welcome back to Reform This. And in our last segment, uh, I have to tell you this: this one hits close to home. I, as a former Navy officer, I have a, uh, more than a soft spot for our, for our military. The debt we owe them to keeping us free, to protecting us from evil around the planet and to the service they give us, to the sacrifices of their families, and uh, what they do to preserve our greatest nation on earth. And, you know, I've come across a number of generals and others that have been heroes in my life. And it's fascinating to me that it is amazing what happens to them when they start thinking about the Middle East. There are uh, example after example of uh, the sacrifice of our values at the expense of these generals or admirals appearing to be friends or allies with established allies of our government. Uh, You know, last year the chairman of the Joint Chiefs upon the death of. King Abdullah in Saudi Arabia had an essay contest for military personnel to write about the beautiful modernization and reform that the Saudis had done under the reformer King Abdullah. I wanted to puke. I mean, that that is just, it was absurd that the chairman of our Joint Chiefs of Staff felt it appropriate to award... Uh, have an essay contest on such an absurd topic in one of the most heinous, oppressive regimes on the planet, whose reforms were simply window dressing, whose comments about modernization were simply done to appease the West when internally they were imprisoning, torturing, and massacring anyone who wanted to speak up about reform against Wahhabism, against the clerics, against the justices in Saudi Arabia. And I'm also reminded of, you know, when I served on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, and uh, thanks to Senator McConnell, I was able to do that for two full terms until just a few weeks ago. One of the most interesting trips we had was to Saudi Arabia, and it did give me an opportunity on my own time to spend a day doing for a Muslim what's called the Umrah, and you Participate in the spiritual experience in the Grand Mosque, which Muslims believe is the holiest mosque on the planet for us. But I also, the main purpose of my visit was to visit with leaders in their foreign ministry and their religious ministry and learn about why it is that they so viciously oppress the religious freedom of Christians, of modern Muslims who choose other Quranic translations that are not sanctioned by their government, why the Shia community are marginalized from jobs, from freedom, from the ability to often build new mosques, uh, or Husseinias as they're called, and it is it was amazing to me. But having said all that, you can go to uh, usurf.gov, uscirf.gov, and look at our reports about why Saudi Arabia was a country of particular concern, but I have to tell you my meeting with Ambassador Smith at the time in 2013, former Air Force General, former Raytheon, six, seven figure employee, um, was the toughest meeting I had. And I remember uh, him telling me, you cannot achieve gain by anything in this world Uh, especially in countries like this, through um, being in their face and telling them they need to reform. So, you know, I, I sat back and thought, oh, my gosh, this is an Air Force general who, former general who now is an ambassador, political appointee from Obama. But I will tell you there probably was very little difference with Republican appointees since they often come from defense Industry folks who had developed long relationships in selling billion-dollar planes and weapons and arsenal to uh, oppressive regimes like Saudi Arabia in the name of global stability, and they, I'm sure, uh, would give you a hundred excuses as to why we have to look at the big picture and forget about the little prisoners and the cells of Saudi Arabia, or the women who have no rights and can't drive in are treated like chattel and, and slaves in Saudi Arabia. But that doesn't matter because of the big picture of global stability. In the meantime, the Arab street takes us for fools and, and believes that we are, as is pretty much true, hypocrites when it comes to supporting these governments uh, versus, and their oil, by the way, that we're addicted to, versus the values that we believe for our own at home. And this is where our paradigm needs to shift. But, you know, to that theme, uh, I I saw an excellent piece written by Christine Brim, former vice president from Center for Security Policy at The Federalist, where she wrote at The Federalist about General Petraeus's piece. And, you know, I also, uh, when I read General Petraeus's piece in the uh, Washington Post, Uh, I I was scratching my head just wondering why would he write such a blatant piece that disregarded the reforms necessary, disregarded all of the work that needs to happen against Islamism. And his piece uh, a few weeks ago was titled, Anti-Muslim Bigotry Aids Islamist Terrorists. Now listen, there's no doubt that I've been critical also. Of the verbiage, the inaccurate verbiage that just sort of sloppily comes out of the mouths of folks like um, Mr. Trump or Hillary Clinton and others, in which they say that by simply calling them all, you know, Muslims, that we are going to aid ISIS. And the bottom line is, is that there is some truth to that, but it's a kernel of truth with a much bigger truth, which is that we don't care what ISIS thinks. They're going to find a thousand reasons to attack us, not least of which is anything Mr. Trump may say. But at the end of the day, uh, what's the strategy? What is our engagement of these terror organizations, of the ideology that fuels these terror organizations like ISIS? And when General Petraeus writes pieces in the post, lecturing us about the the fact that we should uh, um, have a sense of basic security and the language that we use, and that uh, he's grown personally concerned about the inflammatory political discourse, on and on, you know, I think Christine hit the nail on the head. There's something more behind this. And take a look at uh, Brim's piece at The Federalist. She gets into the fact that follow the money and that uh, ultimately behind all of these defenses and uh, attacks of verbiage used, um, again, I wish Mr. Trump had said we should be vehemently against the Islamists, not just Muslims in general. Uh, If he had said that we should stop all immigration, but the bottom line is, is that uh, that's a problem in accurate strategy, but we don't say that he shouldn't have said that because of what the terrorists would do, but rather because of the accuracy and engaging solutions and strategic approach to political Islam and engaging reform-minded Muslims and vetting against Islamists and jihadists, and that simply vetting against Muslims is not going to work. But most importantly to my point is the you know saddening and, and heartfelt hurt I felt when uh, a general who was a hero in Afghanistan and Iraq, who the left had derided uh, during the Bush administration and then became the head of our CIA, and now it turns out is uh, running a global investment firm, uh, or at least very significantly involved with KKR, a 40-year-old global investment firm with $120 billion in assets under management, um, and uh, ultimately had formed a new subsidiary, KKR Middle East and North Africa, and has a license to operate for Dubai International Financial Center, And received a Saudi Limited subsidiary also. And the list goes on and on. Uh, In 2013, they announced the appointment of Petraeus. And they said, as we expand and how and where we invest, we always look to sharpen our KKR edge. Petraeus would help with investments and new geographies. And presumably, it's the Middle East and Central Asia. And sure enough, you follow the monies and the investments and there's connections to the Middle East there, and Christine lays those out. And the bottom line is, is that um, you know you look at what's happening inside those countries, and the Human Rights Watch and others that are honest brokers of what's happening at times in these countries, and people like Rafe bedoui Walid Abouheir, and other true reformers, and those who test the who speak their mind against the oppressors of the Saudi regime. They are tortured and imprisoned while not only our government is allies, but now former military leaders from the United States are actually working for global hundred billion dollar corporations that are in bed with Middle East governments. And you know, I I hope Mr. Trump's different, but Trump, Dubai, and other foreign companies make me a little concerned about that, even beyond a little concerned. Uh, not to mention his affinity for Putin, the Chinese, and his compliments from Tiananmen Square and others. But the bottom line is, is he did raise the ire of Dubai and others in his comments against Muslims. It all makes your head spin, but... I have to tell you that when it comes to true reform, follow the money. Follow the OIC interest, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, because they are the ones who will fund whatever possible to get people to feel just a little enough restrained to not say the word Islam or Islamist, to not mention the need for reform, to not connect the dots between the Saudi, the Egyptian, the Qatari, the Emirati um, governments and the radicalization of Muslims through Al Jazeera, through the mosques, through the Quranic interpretations and through their global presence and connect the dots to ISIS and back and around to Al-Qaeda and other groups. And that's what they get for that investment. And... The bottom line is, if you look at the countries that have apostasy, the worst apostasy and blasphemy laws, they are the countries of Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Pakistan, and other Gulf states that we know all too well. So, follow the money. Tell your former military friends, generals, officers, to stay true to our values in the United States. You know, there was uh, a, a website that Uh, I follow closely. It's about leadership, uh, and they had a piece on there. It's generalleadership.com, and it's about moral courage that our military is taught to have. And I have to tell you, a lot of who I am as a human being came from my service in the military. And I hope that our former military think twice and talk to American Muslims who love our faith, but first of all and most of all love America and what it stands for, because moral courage is not only about doing that, having that courage with your unit and with your country and with your family, but wishing it upon the people of other countries of Saudi Arabia, of Iran, that they can shed the oppression of their governments and of the ideologies that threaten them and threaten us in this global village, which is the biggest threat today is political Islam. We will continue week to week to address the threats of political Islam and breach those divides between the East and West on Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Thank you for joining me. I'll see you next week.
0: Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.